Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Sabonic-Chanko, and welcome to the Club Solutions Magazine podcast. Today's guest is Sue Bereski, the CEO of ReFit, on the topic of medical fitness. ReFit is a medically integrated facility in Canada with a lot of fascinating programming, and Sue generously walks us through the many unique things her center is able to do and the advantages this provides members. It's a very informative chat that outlines how far medical fitness has come and where it's going. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Sue. How are you doing today? Fine. How are you? Pretty good. Excited to talk to you about medical fitness, one of our favorite topics. Yes, for sure. Especially these days. Yes. Yeah. First off, tell me a little bit about how things are um, at your center. Um, I would love to hear just an update about, you know, how you all were impacted from the pandemic and where things stand currently. Well, it's been a a tough road for us. There's no doubt. Um, And as you know, I'm in Canada where there was a lot more closure. So uh, we had three total closures during the pandemic. One was two or three months and one was one and a half months. And each time it it just got a little bit worse in terms of um, who we lost. Um, I guess because everyone thought it was going to end and it just didn't end and it kept going. And then we then, in addition to that, had some restrictions when open, like 50% or 25%. So it's been a tough go. So when we went into COVID, it was four, we had about 4,530 some members. And then when we reopened after COVID, it was 2845. Okay, so now yeah. we're building back. So, um, and it's coming back. Um, I mean, you always want it quicker, but people are coming back, but especially the older people with chronic conditions are more hesitant um, and a little bit worried, but um, people are coming back. So we're very hopeful. Good. Um, I'm curious, you know, because you guys are a medical fitness facility, do you feel like you were impacted differently than maybe a regular for-profit gym um, or is it just about the same? Yeah, it's hard for me. I mean, my experience is with medical fitness and I think um, well, two things. I would have thought um, that we would have might have been treated a little bit different, but I think because it was such a panic and people were doing widespread uh, restrictions, um, that wasn't considered uh, yeah. just because it was just almost impossible to. So I would have thought we would have had less restrictions. But then in the same breath, um, it seemed the worry was more for people with chronic conditions, which is, as you know, a high percentage of who we serve. Yeah. So. Um, so it's hard to tell. I, I think whether it was different, I just think there's a lot of people in our group that were older and fit that high risk uh, population. So those are the people that are slowly coming back. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the ways that you are medically integrated and maybe what advantages this provides to your membership? Sure. So um, we do have uh, medical oversight. So we do have a medical advisor that provides us advice in terms of emergency procedures, um, any of the chronic disease programs, et cetera. We also had just before COVID a medical advisory committee as well, who had different expertise in different areas. Uh, We haven't brought them back together since we're just focused on our our membership right now. That's one way. Uh, all our staff are certified, uh, depending on what area they are, either physiotherapists or fitness professionals are trained in working with chronic conditions. We also have athletic therapists and massage therapists, et cetera. So all those various um, expertise areas have certification. 
um, or just our ability to respond to emergencies. So we spent a lot of time doing mock drills and regular skill checks on CPR because at, at some times, I mean, surprisingly, we could have 12 medical incidents a month. And when I say medical incidents, it's not like a full-fledged, you know, someone's collapsed and has had an arrest anywhere from high blood pressure, feeling dizzy, um, numbness, whatever. But we have about sometimes on an average 12 per month. So our staff are just like machines when something happens here. So that gives everyone confidence. Uh, the type of programs we offer are different in terms of we have the traditional fitness um, high-level fitness classes, but we also have modified programs for disease prevention and rehabilitation. We do screening. Everyone who comes in goes through an assessment and gets outcomes, and we measure them every year. Um, we have um, what I would call quality management. We do a lot of, of uh, processes, making sure that they're consistent, uh, documented, um, we track people's outcomes and we have actual electronic medical records for our clients so that things are put away safely and it's shared with their uh, primary health care provider. Yeah. Um, and we also host research. Uh, as you probably know, we host research and students in various faculties and, and uh, where our mandate is to help improve community health. So those are all different ways that I think that compared to other centers I've worked at, and I've worked at fitness centers and sports centers, and um, there's they all do a little bit of this, uh, but we focus on that, and that's how we differentiate ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I want to hear a little bit more about how um, you're able to kind of see medical records and share information between um, with physicians, because I think that's super unique. And that has been a blind spot, you know, very frequently between a gym and a physician, there is typically not that information exchange, right? Yes. So before just recently, well, over the years, it's it's gotten much better, Rachel, and I've spent a lot of time working on that. So when I started here, we didn't have electronic medical records. Then we started getting it for our cardiac rehab program because that was traditionally in healthcare settings. And then we got that program. And so with it, we didn't get the electronic records, but over time, um, they let us have it and it was kind of more contained. And then I would say about five or six years ago, um, I really negotiated that we're going to work together uh, in the full, uh, I guess, spectrum of health, um, that it made sense that our members uh, would all be on electronic medical records. Because every time someone had a medical condition, I used to have to request, well, first of all, I got the per person's permission. Then I sent a letter to their doctor for the medical records, and then it came back. And so that could have been like three to five weeks, right? And yeah. some people have lost their interest. So now what it is, it's seamless. And even for some of our programs, like we just have a recently new program, a women's heart health prevention program. So this was the first time that we are using electronic records, not only just to store their records, we're actually using healthcare data and we had to get special permission. So that has taken us months of negotiation. So we are actually the first pilot that they've ever done this with so that we're working directly with their physician. Their physician is going to be sharing results that they have taken with the person, with the person's permission, obviously. And then we're going to be using that rather than duplicating some of the things that they've done wow. and see if they've improved over time. 
Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a very significant advantage. Yeah. And we just heard yesterday. So we were quite excited about it because it has been a real struggle to get that. Like before we could um, use electronic medical records just to store, this is different. We're storing it and using um, both collaboratively with primary care, which is a bit different and exciting. And uh, we're quite excited to see the results of working together on yeah. that. So we're just yeah, very starting. Cool. Very cool. Keep me updated. I will. <laughs> um, yeah, talk to me a little bit more about um, some of the advantages that being medically integrated provides to your membership. Well, it's definitely a unique differential. I mean, we all have to think about what our brand is and how we're going to differentiate ourselves. And I've worked in some wonderful fitness facilities. Some of them have been family focused. Some of them have been focused on university students in a university setting. Um, and they all do it very well. But there was nothing in Winnipeg uh, other than the refit at the time and, and then a second center I worked at uh, that's focused what I call primarily on, on what I call medical fitness, meaning um, our mandate is to improve their health and make sure that this individual continues on that journey throughout their life. So we, we're not just having them for a short time. We want to keep them. We want retention is tracked very closely here. We don't want them to quit. Um, if they're ill, uh, Rachel, we put them on a medical hold and we don't charge them because we know people with chronic health issues are more likely to quit because they're already ill. And then the secondly is they often, you know, have bouts of sickness where they can't come. Those would be an, a logical um, reason why they decide to quit, right? They're not using the center all the time. So we don't penalize them for that. And our nurses, we have nurses on staff that actually follow up with them while they're on leave to make sure that uh, medical leave to make sure that they do return. Yeah. So um, it is a differential. It's uh, different. Uh, we like it. Uh, I like mm -hmm. it because uh, as you know, my background, Rachel, is I did work in healthcare as well on the fitness field. So to me, it's just the beauty of bringing both together. And I think they should come together. It's very hard to separate the two, as you know. Yeah. Hey, you've seen kind of like a crazy evolution over the course of your career, right? Um, like when you first started, I think you told me in the past that you actually had to convince people that exercise was safe for people to do, right? That is right. When I started my career, actually, I did start my research. My master's degree was uh, hosted here at the Refit. They had just opened this center and uh, this uh, cardiologist um, decided that it didn't make sense that people were laying down so long after cardiac surgery and not exercising. And that's, and he's talking about beyond the usual physio in the hospital. So it was his kind of innovation and foresight to think that we needed to do something. So he was walking patients in the hallway and on the treadmills at the hospital. And then eventually he built the center. But at that point, when he started to center, having people with heart, pain, heart disease or who have just had bypass surgery to come and exercise outside of a hospital setting, um, some people just thought he, he was nuts. And why was he doing this? It was such a high risk. Um, so I started my career with that, seeing you know that you can do it safely and it's, it's, it's good and it's, it's the right thing to do too. Now, in the latter part of my career, um, I don't think you'd find a physician unless someone was really unstable with their medication, they would probably all say, you've got to get them moving as fast as you can yeah. and, and gradually progress. So 
it's wonderful to see. I still think we have a long way to go, (laughs) but uh, I must say it was a slow process and I never thought I'd see it. So I'm very excited to see that was a good of the pandemic. I think we recognize the need of exercise and all the other, what I would call halo effects of exercise, creating a community, creating support, um, a comfort, um, all those things disappeared when people were at home, even if they were exercising at home, it just wasn't the same. And I don't think it'll yeah. ever be the same. That's why yeah. we started fitness facilities in the first place. So I find it funny when I hear people saying, well, I can exercise on my own for the rest of my life. Well, my experience, Rachel, through my career was that's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a lot of self motivation and determination. And uh, most people can't do it on their own. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, you're also losing some of the ancillary benefits of wellness, which is social connection and and mental health as well from just being in community with each other. Correct. And that's what I think most people recognize. And so when we have now that our center is back open, um, bringing back events and uh, holiday celebrations and active aging week uh, is very exciting for everyone. It's it's funny what we took for granted before, and now we recognize um, what's important in life and what gives you satisfaction and good health. Yeah. Well, where do you think the medical fitness trend is headed? What are kind of some of the next evolutions that are necessary in your view? I hope we get a lot more into prevention, which is the traditional fitness, but with more of the uh, focus on keeping you well. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of work right now on things such as frailty, which meaning uh, not um, equating someone's health to their chronological age, but their physical and mental health. And I do think that really will really change the way our focus um, will be in terms of how we care for people. Here we have some 50-year-olds that are not as well as our 90-year-olds. And yet our whole society has been raised to think that um, 90 is definitely the one that needs more focus versus the younger person. And um, I just think there's a lot we can do to get people to understand the importance of staying well, how that'll help you. If you had to go through a surgery, you know, at some point you may have some kind of procedure, you're more likely to stay healthy and well if you, if you go into it in a, in a better state of physical wellness and men- and mental and sleep and nutrition and all the things that we teach people. So that's what this Women's Heart Health Prevention Program, what we're looking at, is uh, looking at that. I do think the other thing that we'll see more of is health behavior change and the need of incorporating that to help people. Um, we all know what it is, but uh, if you ever found the solution to really get people to understand that and to in, I guess, embed that in programs, um, why we'd be, we'd be rich probably with people <laughs> coming and wanting to uh, come to the centers. Yeah. Cause that's probably the hardest part of any fitness facility is getting people to buy into a program, stick with it and be consistent. That's right. And that's why it's so hard to do it on your own. Uh, because at some point you're going to have little bumps and barriers and things that get in your way. And that's where you need the support and guidance to get past that and get going again. Yeah. Well, what's something that you think a lot of club operators maybe get wrong about medical fitness? Ooh. Um, 
I guess with the word medical sometimes makes people feel that, you know, there's a bunch of physicians in the building and there could be, your model could be that you have a physician clinic, um, you know, next door or part of the facility, but it doesn't have to be. I think it, it's more of a, of a thought of a continuum of care that regardless where you are, like, first of all, you're in prevention and you're probably not seeing your, your family physician very often. And then you're staying fit. And then you get to a stage where you broke a leg or you sprained an ankle or you broke a hip. Then it becomes more, then you get more into what I call healthcare, the traditional healthcare. And that's where we come in and we start becoming more important. But, uh, the, the word medical, I sometimes wonder if that throws people off of what that means, because I know a lot of people think they can't come here unless you're, you're unless you're sick. Yeah, we don't want people to get sick. So it's I guess there's different ways you can call it. It's medical integration. But unfortunately, I always call it health and fitness, because really, it's it's really trying to improve your health, wherever, wherever stage you're at in your life. And sometimes that could be when you're dealing with some struggles, but what we're trying to do is get you to a better place than you were before. Yeah. And as club operators, you don't have to like do a drastic change in your business model to become more medically integrative, right? Like it could just be simply partnering with the medical community a little bit more um, or adding a piece of programming that has a medical fitness component. Yes. And, and I guess to me, it's, it's all again, a continuum, Rachel, like I think all fitness centers are doing something for health, right? Yeah, we, we are doing that. It's where you're spending most of your time. Our focus is on people who need a lot more support and guidance and need what I call more professional help with certification because of the, the complications some of these clients will have. So for instance, I'll give you an example. Last time we checked, 67% of our members had risk factors for a chronic condition of some kind. But that doesn't mean they have something yet, but they either had high blood pressure or already had high blood sugars or other issues. Yeah. Um, they may not have been diagnosed with a chronic condition yet. So our focus is to focus on that and to help improve them. Well, a general fitness center is, is, is there and is an important part of that. Um, but if that's not their, I guess, their value proposition or where their focus is, they're not spending as much time on each individual um, and thinking about outcomes. So I like to see it as you can always get a little bit more um, yeah. or a little bit less, depending on where you are. But you don't have to go all the way to the Cadillac model. I would say we're pretty well a catalog model over the years. We weren't where we were years ago, just so you know, because when I was here, it was much more focused on there were cardiac uh, participants. And then there was actually mostly athletes, believe it or not, or spouses of the people who are coming uh, for cardiac. So the reason athletes is because in those days, there was not many indoor tracks and we have a beautiful indoor track. And so a lot of athletes were interested. So it was a kind of a neat mix for me because on one side we had cardiac patients that everyone was worried were going to drop dead because they were exercising. And then on the other side, you have elite athletes training for Olympics and other games. Wow. So it's kind of neat wow. to see them together. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, let's say a club is interested in partnering with the medical community. What advice would you give on the best approach or things that they should keep in mind? interesting because I did I do because I, I have a history of working in healthcare I've been told that you just need to know how to work with them um, 
you know, physicians, as you know, and uh, medical practitioners really um, are very busy people. And uh, so you have to know how to provide them information. Like you can't just send a mailer in the mail and think they're going to get to know you. So you have to find ways of integrating yourself and becoming recognized and uh, reputable in their eyes. So I had the advantage of working in healthcare, but that's not, not for everybody. But there was various committees I strategically tried to get involved with that would have physician representation. And then you get to know some physicians and then they see you as a good partner and then it, it grows from there. So um, I think you need to find a way of, you know, who do you want to integrate and what do you want to focus on and then find ways of meeting those people um, either in, in conferences or sessions or various community committees where those individuals would frequent. Yeah. You have to build a relationship with them before you're just pitching a program. Oh, yeah. And, and you also have to remember they, they are so busy and they're so focused on medicine and health. They're not, they don't have know anything. That's one thing I found. They, they don't, they all think we take weekend courses mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and they don't know our training. Um, and if you know anything about health, like they, I often get asked by them, are you a physician? Are you a nurse? No, no. Cause I have, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I'm an exercise physiologist, but if you know anything, it kind of surprises them, right? So they have in their mind whatever they've been exposed to. And that could have been their phys ed class. Yeah. In other cases, it could have been their coach in sports. So um, you have to so you have to position yourself of what your background in is and how you want to work with them. Yeah, I mean, it is fascinating to know that a lot of um, people in the medical field don't get a lot of exercise knowledge or just physical health information. Yeah, and I think that's changing quite a bit with that exercises medicine initiative, which I'm involved with. And I think that's really helped um, educate physicians. And I know that uh, we'll even here in our campus, uh, they have exercise um, is medicine on campus. So it's really teaching young students uh, who are training in terms of the importance of exercise. And that's why we're, that's another benefit of our center. We host a lot of students from what I call interdisciplinary um, schools. And it's really nice to bring them together because they've never seen a physician work beside a kinesiologist, beside a personal trainer, beside an athletic therapy therapist. Yeah. Um, so it's new for them. And if they're, so that's why we like hosting students. Cause if they learn that quite early on, it helps them later on when they're referring people to us, they yeah. know who we are and what we do. So yeah. that's another it- way of connecting. Yeah. Well, and young people nowadays who eventually, if they're going into the medical field, they do tend to understand the benefits of of exercise and well-being. Um, it just seems like the younger generation of any before it, they they get it. Yeah, I think every generation will be better. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think now we know exercise is good. Now we have to educate in terms of how to do it and who do you need to support you and how to best, you know, monitor yourself uh, depending on your situation. So yeah, you're correct. I, I see the next generation much more educated on the importance of health and what creates. And I think just in general society, you can't pick up a magazine today without importance of sleep, importance of mm-hmm. nutrition. And, and I think that's another thing. If you want credibility, you do need to know what the current research is and yeah, not, um, I think the medical community would be much more critical about something that I would call not scientifically based. That doesn't mean we don't do innovation 
or have programs that are because I mean cardiac rehab in a community setting was innovative and different in those days but then you have to set the parameters to make sure people feel comfortable and safe while you're researching the outcomes or the benefits of that kind of um, intervention. Yeah yeah you can't just like have fads and do trendy stuff you have, like the research component is extremely important. Yeah, and we get approached all the time Rachel and it's so tempting because you know some of these things are like seen are attractive to people. I won't even name one, but are attractive and, uh, and people want me to have it. And I just don't, because I just know, um, I always have to think of the eye of everybody else, the lens of everybody else. What would that look like if we had that? Would that be widely accepted or would that be critical? And if it is someone on the line, then I think about how I really have to sell them on it and, and market that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, well, any other best practices you can share with operators or just things to keep in mind in the medical fitness realm? Well, I, um, early in my career in particular, I spent a lot of time going to other conferences, just then fitness. So, you know, things like behavior change, which tends to be more of the psych social area, um, you know, American College of Sports Medicine, more of the scientific presentations. And uh, I get involved in research studies myself. So I have a background in research. So I, I still continue to do that because it forces me to think about um, the efficacy and um, reliability of, of those studies. And is it something I'm comfortable to state? Because I think it's so easy for us to say, like we used to say, oh, when you exercise, you're going to live longer. Um, well, early on, we didn't have that evidence. Now we yeah. do. <laughs> but uh, you have to really be careful of statements you make. Um, so being exposed to researchers, getting involved yourself in terms of research studies or even hosting a research study, you do learn a lot um, by what they try to control and, and compare. And you just learn from being with them. Um, so, uh, you know, in all areas, I'm sure there's lots of access to universities and different colleges and educational and it's just getting involved in those and, and learning from them or even just hearing presentations on their results. Yeah, great advice. Well, I have just a couple personal questions I want to end with. Um, we'll start with what's something people might be surprised to know about you, Sue? Hmm. Um, I was a competitive swimmer, so I do a lot of volunteer work in the sporting community. Okay. I don't know how many people know that. So I've been involved in the Olympic Association, Commonwealth Games, Canada Games. Um, I get involved in bids for games and hosting them in various cities and in, in our country. So I'm quite involved in sport, but as a volunteer. So that's the other extreme yeah. um, of uh, fitness. But I do think it's just a different end. Like these people are working at a higher capacity than than others I work with. But uh, in those areas, I've I've become quite knowledgeable in governance. So I help them a lot with governance and policies and processes. And so that's what my role often on those boards is, is in terms of governance practices. And uh, especially these days, as you know, in sport, with all the things that are coming out, it's really important to have all the safeguards in place. And so that's my that's what I do a lot of, Rachel, on the side. Wow. I, yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So, all right. Um, and then what's a favorite leadership book that you could share and why? Hmm. 
I have so many that I really like, but I guess what the one I, I I'm really now interested in the health behavior change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing a lot more reading in that area, but uh, I can't even remember the name of the book offhand, but also the other thing I'm spending a lot of time in terms of right now, as we all know, we're all having trouble attracting employers, employees yeah. and keeping them. And so I'm reading books in terms of recognition of uh, employees in terms of how to best do that. And it's not always money, it's it's other things. And so what does that look like? So uh, I've been trying to pick up some books on that and uh, doing a lot of reading in terms of things I can do differently. I think that's one thing I think coming out of the pandemic is trying to make yourself more attractive than other centers. And so that's where I've been spending a lot of time. But in my office, you'd say, I've got tons, I've got the usual, Patrick Lancioni and and some other books. And so they're in Disney and another book I liked at one point, The New Rules of Retail. It was more the private sector, more on how to position yourself in as a retail. So I I enjoy all of those in different perspectives. So it depends on what's happening in the environment and where. So right now it's more in terms of HR and recognition and what's meaningful to people. Um, And other times it's more how to be a a better leader. So they they vary depending on where I am and (laughs) and what I'm dealing with at the workplace or in the environment. That makes sense. Um, We just purchased the five love uh, or the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. Yes. Um, So we haven't started reading it yet, but that might be a good one to consider around that kind of employer um, employee relationship topic. Yeah, it was, it was, it's quite interesting because even like we were thinking about, you know, what do we give our, our staff in terms of recognition and, you know, just even taking it to the next step. So instead of just getting a gift card, um, asking your employee, you know, your favorite hobbies and where do you like to frequent? And rather than me, Rachel, just giving you a $20 gift card to one place I've chosen, it's your special place. Yeah. Like, so if you like going to, you know, a restaurant with your family or your loved ones, that I appreciate that. And I recognize that. And then I, so it's, it's the same value. The difference is I care to relate it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Those little things can make a big difference. So awesome. All right. Well, Thank you so much for your time, Sue. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your knowledge about medical fitness. It's very much appreciated. Well, thank you very much for having me. All right. You have a good rest of your day. You too. And that wraps up this episode of the Club Solutions Magazine podcast. Thank you for listening. And if there are future topics you'd like me to cover in upcoming episodes, please let me know at rachel at clubsolutionsmagazine.com. 